So how is life going in the pandemic? Um, that is a good question. It's a little awkward. I've got a date at some point in the next week, uh, but we keep pushing it back because she's not entirely comfortable with the exposure that I've had. Uh, uh-huh. I was, And you're generally pretty campus. responsible. I'm generally pretty responsible, uh, but I was on the campus of my university uh, this past weekend. Uh, an un- and a, a, a for now unnamed Midwestern University. Yes, uh, and within, with no joke, within 30 minutes of me leaving campus, the county's health department uh, issued a shelter-in-place order uh, for students at the university because cases were climbing so quickly. Yikes. Now, I think the people I saw on campus, the four of them, were very responsible. They were in an apartment together. They hadn't seen anyone else. Um, but it made my date a little nervous. So the weird thing about living in a pandemic right now is it put my date off a week or so. Yeah, I'm sure that's got to impact the dating scene. I'm honestly shocked I could get a date at all in a, in a pandemic. Like, how do you meet someone new when everyone else is a potential, you know, threat to your life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I was talking to one of my professors about how it's so awkward to talk to new people because it's like having a boundaries conversation on the first date, but you're having a first date with everybody every day. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So... That's my life in the pandemic. Anything interesting about your life in the pandemic? Uh, well, at my different unnamed Midwestern University of somewhat smaller size than yours, uh, ran- <laughs> randomly selected me for testing, which I'll do tomorrow. Uh, we've got a program where uh, I think in the, in the first couple weeks, uh, we, we couldn't test every student when they came to campus. We've got too many people. But we randomly did, I think, a third of the on-campus students, at least, in the first while. And now they just try and keep going through stuff. So I got randomly selected and signed up for a time. And tomorrow I'll do, a, like, a self-administered test. Uh, I'm not symptomatic or anything. But it'll be – I think it's always good to know. Some people get them and they're like, oh, it's such a hassle. And I'm like, oh, like, a free test that's convenient for me to get? Like, I'm all for it. Like, I just want to know. Yeah. Do you have to do a nose swab or is it a spit test? Nose swab. Yeah, okay. the, 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 the not fun ones, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I haven't heard my, I, I know, I was, about to, I was about to say university name. I know another unnamed university uh, used a spit test. Uh, mine hasn't. I, I don't know, how, like, I haven't heard much about them. Like, I, I just, yeah. I, I kind of distrust them, not for any sort of basis of a reason, but just because I haven't heard good things about them. I also haven't heard bad things. Yeah, so my university uh, is using spit tests as a screener. The Food and Drug Administration has not cleared them to be a test for the virus, yeah. um, but it is a way to screen for the virus, is what they're calling it, because it's not officially a test. Um, yeah. My university is able to do, this, do the screener because this particular protocol was invented at my university. Uh, so that, Yeah, uh, that'll it, make things easy to do, probably. Yes, it is a little bit less precise than the PCR of an actual test, um, but it doesn't require any live virus, and it is a generally a decent indicator of whether you're sick or not. And then if you come up positive, do you go and get a nose test, or they just be like, yeah, yeah, yes. that is that's the protocol. I signed up for the for the testing regimen on campus uh, to have my spit collected, but the university uh, has not been very communicative about how to do it. They are starting up a program with all 40,000 undergrads, you know, theoretically. Not everyone's in on campus this fall, but all the people in the area are supposed to sign up for this screening program. Yeah. Do, do they do any, uh, like, random testing or not? 
Although you, you generally don't like, there's not very many people on campus, are there? Most of the, especially undergraduates, are not on campus, right? Correct. Um, there is none of the dorms that have communal bathrooms have occupants, and of the suite-style dorms, they're at a quarter capacity, so one person per suite. Mm. Yeah, so I suppose. Yeah, we should yeah. probably kind of go over the general situation of what, like, of what we're at. Like, I am living on campus. Uh, at a Midwestern university that has a student body of between like, you know, around 25,000 or so roughly yep. in that area. Um, and we are on campus for now. Um, a large percentage of our student body lives off campus, very close to campus. Our classes are hybrid um, and, you know, there's some level of constant change. Uh, so for me right now, I have uh, two classes that meet in person and that means that I'm on like in person on on campus three times a week for those those classes uh, and then I've got a couple classes that are online uh, I've got three labs I'm a STEM major um, three labs only one of which meets in person and it met online for the first two weeks and now I had my first in I had my first in person today lab for organic chemistry two uh, before that, it was all online, which went well. One person to one hood, um, smaller sections and everything. Uh, right. But it would have been brutal if everything was online for Oreo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, my situation, I am enrolled at a Midwestern university that's not quite twice the size of Noah's. Um, and I canceled my on-campus housing contract because all my classes were online and I didn't feel safe in the dorms. So I'm currently living in an apartment uh, in in the same state as my university. In, We're trying to keep uh, personal keeping, details off. Keeping, keeping it broad, you know? Yeah, yeah. Someone's um, if someone was really trying, they could figure it out. But, like, it's just impossible at a certain point to keep anonymity. But we're not going to get easy. Exactly, exactly. So I am I am not living on campus or near campus. Uh, but most of, my, most of my friends are still in the area of my university. And while I'm living on campus, um, my housing style is an apartment style. So I have my own little room. We have a bathroom in our unit. We have a kitchen. Um, so I, you know, have my own space. I'm not sleeping right close to someone. Um, I also canceled most of my meal plan. I used to have a, a meal plan where I had like two meals a day for restaurants around campus. And I canceled it for two reasons. One is that there are, well, yeah, three reasons, actually. One being there's just less offerings for food around campus. Uh, especially close to my dorm. Uh, our, our, the closest dining hall to my dorm is pretty much completely closed. And so it would have been a pain in the butt to go walk to get food. Two, uh, I think it would be better to just minimize exposure. I think dining halls of the kind of san sanctioned ca campus activities are probably the riskiest. Uh, of course, like off-campus parties are the real threat, but of the things that are san sanctioned and okay on campus, I think dining halls are the, the worst because you have people without their masks on eating close to each other um yeah and so you know i didn't want to risk that i can cook i've got a kitchen uh and also uh before i came to campus i called up our campus dining services and i was like hey so if uh campus gets shut down uh will i uh will i get my meal plan money back and they're like we don't know and we have a, a system where within the first uh, week or two of classes you can change, cancel, add to your meal plan, whatever you want for no penalty. And I, I was like, so will you know if I'll get a refund before the, the due date to like drop 
your meal plan if you want to? And they're like, well, probably not. And I just thought that was um, real suspicious. Uh, I think I'd probably get a refund. I got a refund last year when we went online, but I'm not about to risk that. Meal plans are expensive. Seriously. Yeah. And you have an apartment style, so you can afford to do that on campus. My yeah. university does not offer housing like that. So. Yeah. No, I, my housing's for, for on-campus housing. I've got some some nice storms. So for people listening to the podcast, you know, perhaps the week we put it out, this may not be very interesting, uh, but we thought we'd open the podcast every week with a little slice of pandemic life uh, and that it might be a very interesting segment in years to come when we're, all of this is hopefully behind us. Yeah, yeah. No, and even if nobody ever listens to it, I'm sure I'll listen back to it in, you know, in my older age, and it will be interesting to see what what life was like. Um, and, you know, it's also just like, what you know, it's so omnipresent in our lives that if we're going to talk about our experience, roll credits, um, <laughs> we, we, it would just be egregious not to mention it because it impacts most things. Absolutely. I think humans have a really great tendency to make, to normalize things, you know, oh, to, to get used to new realities. Yeah. And most of the time, I think that's like, like yeah, I was just going to say, like, most of the time, that's a great adaptation. Like, it's very adaptive. But the current uh, epidemiological and political climate is really unprecedented. Uh, a good friend of ours was saying recently uh, that her grandmother uh, was was telling her that she has never experienced a year like 2020. Um, and I think that as young people, we often lack the perspective to say, wow, times are really this weird, um, but they are, and they certainly feel that way. You know, like I think, you know, thinking about the, you know, somewhat, you know, past hundred years or whatever in the United States, uh, I think you could make a good case that there have been times that have been maybe harder, right? Or worse, but I think maybe times being so unprecedented or like weird, you know, you can make a case for 2020. Like, Certainly in the span of a, human, of a human lifespan. I think maybe in the 1920s or 30s, things felt like this. But that was a long time ago from mm -hmm. a human perspective, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, of course, we can't know how those people really felt. Uh, at least, yeah. you know, not in the same context now. Uh, but yeah, we're just, I think there's part of it too of, if you try to think about like thinking historically, okay, what are some bad things that have happened? And, you know, bad things on a, on a global, like, or, or on a broad scale, because also if you think about even the past 50 years, uh, there have been some very horrible things for very, for like select groups of people, you know, Absolutely. like me being a white guy, like I, you know, if things are going well in the world, they're often going well for me. So of course there have been experiences where like, stuff has been awful for people who have not had the same privilege as I had, but on a, like a broader scale, like impacting everyone, uh, I think we're just getting hit from all sides, you know, especially in the, you know, uh, um, mostly in the United States. Well, that's all that we can really talk about. Like there are, you know, this is compounding issues, you know, abroad, uh, in places that don't have the same, um, wealth the United States does, Certainly, um, but the experience in the United, in the United States is um, di different being that we're not as used to it. Mm, uh, that's a good, like, yeah, that's a good Things point. have been, you know, 
majority wise, like for at least for for you know a lot of people in the United States, like things have been very good. You know, we definitely have our problems, and there are definitely uh, people that we have 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 not served. But you know, in the past a hundred years, like the United States has done pretty good for itself. Yeah, uh, and so we're not used to hardship. No, and I think East Asian countries like Singapore, Japan, Hong Kong, China, South Korea have handled this pandemic very well. Oh, Japan's numbers Japan, were crazy. Japan, or was it Japan who just got right on it, right? With their testing? And uh, Korea. Korea, as well. Korea yeah, yeah. Did very South well. Um, and part of the reason is this isn't quite so unprecedented for them. They've had SARS outbreaks before, and they have the infrastructure in place to really jump on them. Uh, and I think the last time that there was a disease that forced everybody internationally to, to grapple with it was 1918, the Spanish flu pandemic, was the yeah. last time there was something this international, you know, and this big. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the H1N1 scare at all back, uh, ooh, 2014, 2009? Not, partic- like, not particularly, like maybe like a little bit, but, you know, it was, it was nothing. Even, even Ebola, which in like the oh, developed Ebola world, was 2014. Yeah. even, even yeah. like in the developed world, like, you know, it's not that much of a threat. Um, unless something changes drastically about it. But like, even that was like such a, like some people freaked out about it, but like that was such a blip, you know? Absolutely. It, it was mostly, it was mostly concern for um, outside of the US um, for, yes. for African Asians. Yeah. And I mean, the last time there was uh, an outbreak, the 2009 uh, H1N1 outbreak, for example, I was eight years old, right? I was a child. This pandemic has been going on for nearly half a year. Um, it's been impacting us. So I think a question I want to ask you is, when did you first know it was what it is? When did you first know it was serious, at least for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I hardly had time to think when it began. Uh, I came back from spring break on a Sunday night. And by Wednesday morning, my university had canceled uh, in-person classes. So, you know, there was a really, a really kind of jovial atmosphere coming back from spring break. All the students were really excited um, and, you know, we're looking forward to the kind of the end of the semester. And there was a really shockingly fast time, time frame. Uh, yeah, some, that's crazy. The first universities in the United States to shut down, I think, were like Harvard in Boston. Uh, and maybe some around Seattle shut down Monday or Tuesday of that week. And it was kind of a kind of a big deal for us. It was like, oh, haha, these universities shut down. Um, Harvard, quite honestly, handled it kind of poorly. Uh, they told other students, "You have twelve hours to get out of the dorms." You know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a bit that may intense. have been Brown. That might have actually been Brown University. I'm not sure. Either way. Um, either way. So you know, it was news because these universities shut down and did it rather poorly. So, but but I had never considered that that would be something that I'd have to face. You know, that was something that was going to be contained in Seattle and wouldn't be a big, wouldn't be a big deal, you know. So Wednesday morning, I showed up at my calculus lecture and there was a big hubbub. People were talking and, and the professor got up and had some difficulty getting the, the class to quiet down uh, and said, well, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the email, at this point it was 1030 and the email had gone out about 915. Um, he said, for, you, for those of you who haven't seen the email, this will be our last in-person class for the semester. And that really taken me back because I hadn't seen the email. Uh, the email was, 
effective noon today, three hours from when the email went out, all in-person classes are canceled. Um, That's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, just shockingly fast. I woke up that morning, I don't know, thinking about what I wanted to eat for dinner. And by the time I got to my first class, everything was canceled. Um, and so that Thursday, the very next day, um, I think it was a bit of panic had set in. And I literally just grabbed all the stuff out of my dorm I could, threw it in the back of a car, and drove home. Um, part of that was was hastened by the fact that a cousin of mine was at another university in our state and was being kicked out of the dorms. I had to go pick her up. Um, so it was a really chaotic time. I a lot of my classes were just canceled for that week, for the end of the week. Um, but uh, that weekend, I went back to my university and cleared out my dorm. Uh, in less than a, less than a week after spring break, everything was, I mean, the dorm was empty, gone. No one was there. Um, and I cleaned out all my stuff and I brought it home. And at that point, my university was still claiming they were going to come back for in-person exams. Um, but I think that by that weekend, seeing how fast cases were climbing in Italy at that point was really what everyone was talking yeah. about cases in Italy. Um, and so by, by then I kind of figured, Oh, this is going to be around for a while. Um, and I think for maybe the first week or so after my university shut down, I thought, okay, we'll shut down for two weeks to a month and then it'll be back to normal. Mm -hmm. um, but once within that first month uh, or within the first two weeks, rather, cases started to pick up in New York City um, really badly. And by that point, I knew it was here to stay. We weren't going back for exams. There's no way we were, you know, there was no way we were going to get back down to below the threshold for them to cancel. You right. know, they right. canceled when we were in the teens in our state um, of cases. And, you know, it was only rising. Yeah. And so, and so the big outbreaks uh, like New York City and elsewhere uh, were hundreds of cases um and those and that was back before we had good testing infrastructure so um that was back when we were maybe catching one in 50 cases uh, with yeah masks. which so, also i just kind of thought of this that was back when they said don't wear masks or when they, you know yeah. when they when they when they said it wasn't that you don't wear them but it was hey you don't need to save them for healthcare workers yeah which is just why like right. i get why they did it i you know i i with the understanding, with the knowledge they had, it was the best choice for them to make. But like right. thinking now, it's like that's so alien. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, I own half a dozen masks. I wash yeah. them with my laundry every week. I wear them every time I step outside my house. Yeah. You know, I'll watch TV. You know, from you know two years ago or whatever, and be like, oh my gosh, they're not wearing masks. And it's yeah. like, oh, they, they didn't have to. That's so funny. I saw. It's so funny you mentioned that. I saw a. Uh, what was it? It was like a TV show where they had a, in, a meeting, like a council meeting or something. And I was like, couldn't this be a Zoom meeting? Why are they all so close to each other? Yeah, it's so <laughs> weird. Uh, strange. So that's, for me, that's when I, I really knew it was it was serious. What was your experience like at your university? Um, I mean, so I my university closed, I think, a day or two after yours. Um, and I think it might have been a day after yours. Uh, and so I was hearing from my friends who are at your university and others that close that like their universities like send screenshots of these emails of like in three hours everything's canceled and I was just like, oh okay. Um, and my university is a little bit smaller, um, so I thought okay maybe it'll take a little bit longer to, to reach this. But like at that point, I I knew I knew that it was it was days not weeks. Um, 
And so there was the, the, the next day, there were rumors of that there was going to be an email sent out. And it was like, oh, there's going to be an email sent out at three. Oh, there's going to be an email sent out at four. Oh, there's going to be an email sent out at 530. You know, none of those times were correct, but there was indeed an email sent out. Um, and tragically, I was going to speak, at, I think it was a, a Wednesday or a Thursday when my university canceled. Uh, and I was going to speak at a conference <laughs> that uh, that uh, that Saturday. Um, and actually come visit you and one of my other friends at your university that weekend. Yeah, I remember uh, you were going to come stay with me. I was really excited. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I was, it was like 6.30 or something at night. And I was, I was walking into a research meeting. We were going to prep for this conference. Um, and we, like, we kind of, in, in our emails, we were like, we don't know if this conference is going to happen. But we kind of, we, we thought there was, a, there was a decent chance we were going to make it for that. And then walking into the door, like we all were like checking our emails compulsively, like every five seconds, walking into that, into that meeting, which is like right when I walked in the door, I got it's just an email from my like university official office of the president. I was like, well, this is it. And it indeed was it. Uh, and so the next day, my parents came to, or no, one of my friends um, came to pick me up. We took, you know, just. Maybe our, my university as well was like, we're going to be back in three weeks. We're going to be back in a month, whatever. So I just took what I could pack in an hour or so, what I would need. Uh, I live pretty close to my university, so it wouldn't be that much of a hassle to come pick stuff up if I needed it. Um, but even then, like, that's when I knew, like, okay, like, things are closing. Okay. But even then, it didn't feel real or serious. Like, I remember, I mean, we didn't. It just you know, as a as a population, like there wasn't a consistent message of like, oh, how do we deal with this? Like I came home and there was cases in the teens and then the low twenties and then, you know, in in the whole state. And so like I was seeing some of my high school friends like in their house. And of course we weren't wearing a mask at the time and you know, weren't like keeping our distance. And then like things started to pick up. And I think it was probably when there were the first few deaths in our state, it was like, oh. And, and there was a bit more of a consistent message of what, what you're supposed to do about it and how you're supposed to behave uh, mm -hmm. that I really started to realize that like, oh, wow, this is not only like, is this impacting me, but like, this is serious and this is going to stick around for a while. Yeah. I remember in, in the early days, uh, back in mid-March, even by the time I arrived at home, later that week, we went to the grocery store uh, and bought $300 worth of groceries. Um, which was actually kind of impressive because the grocery stores were cleaned out. I remember like you couldn't buy toilet paper or water or flour, you know, um, and, and my mother was reading the news about the pandemic obsessively, especially stuff in Italy. Uh, and so she, from the very beginning, you know, we don't see friends, we don't go outside the house. Um, and so I think my experience is a little different than yours in that uh, it was a much more sudden transition away from, living with my friends at university to, I don't think I saw anyone for three months. I didn't leave my house for three months, you know? Yeah. That's, that's intense. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. You were, you're, you were dating, you are dating someone and you were at I the am. time. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you continued to see her and I think that maybe made your experience a little different, but I, for me, the first two and a half or three months that I was at home, I did not see anyone and I'm an extrovert. That was very hard on me. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I, I called uh, a friend of mine every single night for 
I think 80 or 90 days in a row, we called every evening. And that was probably the only thing that kept me sane because I was an extrovert and I hadn't seen anyone in three months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're both, like, you know, we're both extroverts. Hard. I'm a hardcore extrovert. Like yes. I take those uh, Myers-Briggs and I get like 97% extrovert. I'm like, oh, well, tracks. Um, no. But yeah, no. Um, yeah, I definitely, you know, it, it's a lot easier to, uh, even once we started to know about masks and social distancing, uh, my girlfriend and I, we initially briefly were like, okay, maybe we're going to do, you know, social distancing. Uh, and we maybe did that for a week or two. And mostly we just like go on walks outside. Um, but it got to a point where it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be like, this is going to be months, not weeks. It's unsustainable. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, and so we talked about it and made the decision of like, okay, you know, we're both going to try and be careful. Uh, but we're not going to social distance from each other because it's just infeasible at a certain point. You know, we, we knew we were going to break and we'd rather kind of do that in a conscious way versus just like give in sometime. Yeah. Um, and I think there were, there are some friends of ours who continue to behave unsafely. Um, and I think in the early days of the pandemic back in March and April, um, everyone was much more cautious than they are now. On their own personal scale. So, like I said, I saw nobody back then in yeah. March, April. Um, now I'm, you know, I'm willing to see people. I had a single friend over for dinner this evening because I know that he's been safe. Um, yeah, and that was that would have been unthinkable to me in April, um, which is which is a little bit ironic because back in April cases were relatively low and they haven't and they're much worse yeah. now. Um, I think I think that's just classic fear of the unknown. You know, we know how to manage things better. And like our people and myself included taking more risks now, even when this might be the worst time to take risks. Yes, because, you know, like normalcy bias, we're getting used to it. Um, But at the same time, it's less scary because we know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think additionally, in the early days, we, there was a lack of information, which I think is really hard to recreate looking back on it. Mm Mm-hmm. They were two months where we had no clue what was going on. We didn't. We didn't know, know how deadly it was. We didn't know accurate. how it spread. You know. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't know if our case numbers were accurate. We were. We were seeing pictures of northern Italy. You know, with people lying on the on the hallways in hospitals because they didn't have enough beds. Um, yeah. And we were terrified that that was going to be us next. And so, in some sense, because we overreacted, it wasn't an overreaction. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's very easy to look back on the, on our past selves and be like, why didn't you just do this? But, you know, when kind of the future is foggy and we don't know what it's going to look like and we don't have all the information, it's a lot harder to make those decisions. And I think most of the time, uh, whether you're talking about yourself or even thinking about government officials, um, it's best to give yourself the benefit of the doubt and be like, hey, you know, with the information, like I made the decision with the information I had, I can't apply the information I have now to past decisions. Like right. I did very that. hard. Yeah, and it's very hard to unknow that information now yeah. to make the decision again. Um, but over the summer, I think our experience was a little bit differently, mm-hmm. um, consciously or otherwise. 
you and I and two other friends of ours decided that that was our group for the summer. Yeah. Those were the people we would see, and we didn't really see anyone outside of that group of four. Yeah, I even had a, which was like, it, it wasn't even super conscious, but I, and I kind of really noticed it when I was having a conversation with my dad, um, talking about one of my other friends who kind of wasn't in our little pod. Um, and he was like, oh, why aren't you seeing, uh, why aren't you seeing this guy so much uh, recently? You haven't hung out with him in a while. I thought you guys were really close. And I'm like, oh, we are. Like, we call, we're really close, but like, we just kind of ended up in different groups. He's like, are, you're in different friend groups now? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, we're in the same friend group still. But like we ended up in different uh, like air quotes pandemic groups. Uh, we just right. it, it, we would be a big connection because he sees people that I don't and I see people that he doesn't. So if we hung out, we would be connecting a lot of people. Right, right. And I like like I said, I don't think that was even a conscious decision. Those were just you know our close friends who were in town and being safe. Yeah, uh, was really what it came down to. But in in retrospect, that was a really good. Uh, decision we made to say these are the people we're going to see and we will see them in a safe manner and and such yeah um and that kept me sane. that kept me sane through the summer so yeah it was really good to like have that consistency of where of like you know it, it we, we didn't have that having boundaries conversations on the first date you know every time because we kind of set precedents and we did similar things it was like okay like we've done go hang out on a blanket at a park with these people before so we kind of know what to expect with them. Right. Um, and I, I think the other half of it is uh, my grandfather was living with me this summer. I believe yeah. he still is. Um, yes, he still is. I don't know why I said that. Um, it's my house. He is still living with us. And so, you know, there's a guy who's over 70 in my household. I had to be very careful, uh, more so yeah. than some of other friends. And so that group of four was selected because I knew that you were safe and you were safe I, partly on my behalf. Um, yeah. So. And like in some ways that kept me accountable, which was good. Right, right. Um, I I have seen since uh, college campuses have reopened, a lot of our friends, not a lot, some of our friends have gotten sick. Uh, yeah. And they are not people that I would have been the first choice to see, but I think it is a good reminder that, you know, the risks are still out there. Yeah, yeah. Um. And I think, you know, we've got to be careful in talking about the things. And also just in, like, it is very strange to have to make these considerations. Because normally, like, um, the decisions, not even, like, you know, objectively bad decisions, like, of your friends don't impact you as much. And so you can be like, oh, like, yeah, this is my friend. Like, I don't love some of the stuff they do. But, like, yeah, we still hang out. Whereas you sometimes have to have even more, like, uncomfortable conversations or interactions with people be like hey like i like you and you're my friend but like you know hey like i know that you do this and so like i want to see you later but like right now we can't hang out uh, and i definitely had to have some of those conversations over the summer and while at school i've had a few of them as well of like hey i like you but like i see what you post on your social media let's hang out when this is all done but like i can't i can't justify that to myself right now and that's often really uncomfortable but I think we've been lucky in that our friend group is generally pretty mature. And so when I've had those conversations with people, I've most commonly just been met with like, oh, I totally understand. No worries. I get it. Like, no hard feelings. Whereas I've talked with people who have had similar conversations with their friends and had, it's all blown up of people getting Absolutely. really upset. And that just hasn't happened in our friend group, which has been phenomenal. 
Right. Absolutely great. Um, yeah, I think, like you're saying, for so much of our life, we're able to separate our friends' bad decisions from our you know, tolerance for risk, right? Yeah. Um, if I have, I go to a major university, there are parties. I don't drink. Um, but friends of mine go and get drunk every single weekend, and I can just not see them for two days, and I don't have to be around it, and it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, now, if somebody does something I think is unsafe, they have to live to my standards of safety for two weeks before I yeah. feel safe seeing them. You know? Yeah, and it's even it's not even always like like sometimes we're just in different situations. Like you were living with your with your grandpa, and so like right. not even from like a a personal decision, but just from like oh my uh, like risk factor. Like I my acceptable level of risk is is different for a reason outside of my control. And I think especially with young people, that that was a really weird part of it because I have never like even though the virus does impact young people, right? Like I've never been worried for my own life or my own health. Like I know there is a chance that I could get sick, but like there are bigger health risks to me than the virus personally right now. Um, but Absolutely. like my parents or my grandparents, like they, it is still a very big risk for them. And so like I was having to make, decide on my risk profile based off of the people I love, not necessarily based off of myself. Um, that was a very awkward thing to navigate. Um, I don't know if I speak for you. I suspect that I do. Um, but we are in a period of life where becoming independent and having your own life and lifestyle is a really big part of what we're working through. Definitely. Uh, and so to be forced to consider every action you take and its impact on everyone who you are in relationship with is not a really a big theme of being a young adult, you know? A young especially, about, especially yeah. in the context, I think of um, our our social interactions and our relationships. Um, Absolutely, because like there is certainly some like there's 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 something to be said about like hey you need to like when you're like become a college student or be, like a young adult you need to kind of figure out who you are as a person right. But there are also still like hey be considerate to others like you know in most cases like you know if you've got a good relationship with your parents like. Be considerate of them, but like you can still be like, oh, I have relationships that you know maybe I don't mention at home or whatever, um, or even just like you know whether it's going to a party or you know just seeing your group of friends. You don't normally have to like those don't normally play. those are are unusual things to have to consider in context of of especially your family or with other people. You know, Absolutely. I think most of us keep kind of our sets of people who we care about somewhat compartmentalized, like family, group, you know, some group of friends, some other group of friends, our coworkers. But now we need to consider all of those people as, you know, because we are the common connection between them. You know, we've got to yeah. think of our grandparents, our coworkers, our friends, and like random guy at Subway, like kind of on the same level because we're the common denominator. Right. Uh, for example, over Christmas break, I would tell my parents, I'm going, peace, and leave. And I yeah. would go hang out with friends for hours. And it wasn't a big deal. They had no idea what I was doing. They trusted me. And now that's just not something I can do. I can't compartmentalize my life like that. Yeah. Um, I hope that this makes our generation much more considerate of the ways that, even outside of a pandemic, the way we live our life affects everybody we interact with. You know? Yeah. Um, I have seen a lot of young people who have simply failed to learn that lesson. 
um, mm-hmm. which is which is sad. And it may just be that the way our media is set up, that that's the stories that make headlines, you know? Oh, definitely. Like, there is for sure some of that. But, like, you know, I think, I think you know, I was talking with one of my professors about, you know, the fact that when I walk around campus, like, when I walk through the, the, the area of campus that's predominantly freshman housing, I see way less social distancing and way less masks. Um, and I don't think that's because, like, freshmen are stupid or that they're, like, bad people. But when we were talking, we were just like, yeah, in general, freshmen, like, often make mistakes like freshmen are like it's a joke and it's a a stereotype but like it's also true like freshmen are known for like making mistakes and doing silly things um right and it's not it shouldn't be a surprise that like they're gonna make mistakes in the context of a pandemic because they make mistakes in every other context Um, absolutely i remember the first the first three months being at college kind of felt like falling down the stairs in some ways yeah Um, (laughs) in that i was I was thrown headfirst into being independent and being an adult and managing my schedule and my social life. And there were a lot of things in which I made perhaps unwise choices because they were my choices. And I'm like, Oh, I I definitely did. Like I did my freshman year. Like I think my freshman year went pretty well for me, but like, did I do some self-destructive things? Yeah. (laughs) Like, cause I finally had the freedom to do them. Yeah. Uh, and I feel badly for the freshmen this year because the stakes oh, are so much higher for well, them. And especially when you're coming off of uh, a, a generally ruined, like the, their end of their senior year, like most, for most mm. people, most freshmen, their senior year, like the good parts of it, whether it was prom or graduation or a big, you know, their big thing at the end of the year, their senior party, their whatever, their open house. Their concert, it, their it, show. Yeah, you know. It was different uh, or it, it didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. And then their summer, it was, you know, which is supposed to be their big bash where they say goodbye to their high school friends, you know, or whatever. Often, I think the summer before college is is thought of as like either a summer to take a break or a summer to make some money at a job, both of which are much less viable. It's much less viable to have a relaxing break with your high school friends. And it's also much less viable to try and make a lot of money before college. Um, yeah. And so they're like. My summer sucked, then in my senior year sucked, all because of, I think, oftentimes restrictions that they felt were out of their control because they were out of their control. And yeah. now that finally they have control over their life and like for many of them for the first time, a real sense of control, um, it leads to poor decision-making, which is understandable, but tragic. Yes, absolutely. Um, so. I guess that's that's our been our experience over the last six yeah. months. I do um, have another question for you, James. Yes. Before pandemic, we close up the pan- pandemic stereotypes. What have you fallen into? Oh, um. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I would just like to point to Exhibit A, which I believe did you say it was the fifty-pound bag of flour? Oh uh, yes, I am the pandemic baker. Um, it actually ended up being much more than that. I bought. Four 50 pound bags of flour. Oh my gosh. I'm I used 200 pounds of flour to make bread. Um, which I did the math, I think is 500 pounds of bread. Um, I baked quite to be fair, I have a very large family and we like to eat toast for breakfast. Well, and you um, baked before the pandemic too, like you cooked I baked and baked a lot the before the pandemic. Yes, um, so you're not really just hopping cook. on the bandwagon. No, I love I love cooking, uh, and a niche interest is sourdough bread. So I came home, we were eating toast uh, a lot, um, and I just started baking bread. And I would bake 
eight to ten loaves of bread a week. I'm, you know. Yeah, no, you, you'd always be sending us messages of the bread you were baking. Yes. Um, it. I got a lot better over the last six months at breaking bread, let me tell you. I have noticed how much better at bread baking I got, which is fair because I did it four times a week. Um, yeah, yeah, you would improve. Yes. In the early days, it was really difficult to get flour. Um, I... Well, and didn't yeast, wasn't yeast, like you did sourdough, so it's not a problem, but I remember right. there were like yeast shortages. Like yes. people would go to bakeries and be like, I don't want your bread, but can I buy your flour and yeast? Yeah. Um, I mean, like cupcake stores or, you know, bakeries where you would normally go as like a, like a Panera bread even, right? Places where you normally go and socialize with people became the place you went for flour and yeast because it wasn't in the grocery store, <laughs> which was really a weird experience. That is very strange. Yeah. Um, so, yes, my pandemic stereotype is, is the baker. I was the baker. Um, you, you dyed your hair. That I did. It's gone now, but it was very it glorious. I have another bottle. I did, I did, I did semi-permanent dye. But, yeah, I really, I really fell into that angsty stereotype, you know? Because, like, who's going to see me? I've always wanted to dye my hair, and I'm like, well, I figure... I figured under a stay-at-home order is probably the lowest stake time ever to dye your hair. That's true. I mean, there was, once it really had, like, become internalized that I was home and I wasn't seeing people, I did a lot of strange things. I shaved my head. Uh, not yeah, not yeah. all the way, but I got, it was pretty short. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, it was strange times. I'm trying to think if I fell into any other stereotypes. I think it was probably just the hair dyeing. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't I, buy a pet. Nope, didn't buy a pet. That was good. I know someone, I know someone, one of the people I was doing research with, she got a cat <laughs> during the pandemic. And I was like, yeah. okay, you are, you are a college student. Like you might regret that, but like fun. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it could be worse. A friend of mine, got a dog and then it didn't go well. So they decided the solution was to get another dog. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to perhaps wrap up uh, the podcast by talking about what our future plans are with this project? Yeah, I think uh, a little bit of uh, meta. What, why, why, why are we here? Why are we talking? Uh, and what, what, what do we, what, 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 who, what, why? talking we're not going to tell you the when and where unfortunately well no. you can get the when we just talked about yeah. the when the when the when the when is uh is is now uh tuesdays because that's hopefully yeah. when it'll go out although you'll probably hear this a week after it was recorded that that sounds like a good schedule yeah every other tuesday sticking to it the goal is to stick to a schedule uh and that is because the real reason for this podcast is not because we aspire to be professional podcasters or because Absolutely we think not. we're particularly good at it. It's nope. because we have like a productivity complex. And so uh, justifying <laughs> and like consistently talking to each other um, is, is a challenge. And so we are making a podcast so we can convince part of our brain that we're doing something productive because that's that's the reality of it. That's the world it, we live in. It really is. It's a very strange mindset. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other week. I saw some flowers in the store that I really liked. 
and I thought, man, I wish I had somebody in my life I could buy flowers for because I really want to get those flowers. And I said, you should buy them for you. But that's not how my mind works. And no, I think in that a would be unacceptable. Fashion, Why would you need flowers? It'd just be right. a useless expense. But buying flowers for someone else, completely justifiable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that this this podcast falls into a similar pattern. I know that I will work myself too hard and will not take time to call my friends if I don't feel like I, this is a project, it is something to achieve. And so here we are. Yeah. I think some other things that we might talk about in the future of the, of the podcast are um, biotechnology. We're both big yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're biology people. Yeah, we biotechnology and the future of science are really fascinating topics. Yeah. Uh, I think also... Um, we're definitely both interested in discussing theology, specifically Christian theology, because that's really the only experience we have with theology. To kind of fit with the theme of the podcast, the, the idea behind an episode where we talked about theology would be to tackle some kind of contemporary issue or question and, and examine it from like a Christian, specifically for us, a Christian Reformed theological perspective, but talk about how that's impacted us like personally in our lives. And I think often that some of those episodes might take a form of like, We'll find something that's like uh, sexuality or youth Creation in the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, or I think talking about how we should consider religion, our, our, like our religious beliefs when we think about politics. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it would be less of like, it, it's not about like a sermon. Like neither of us are qualified no. to do that or to actually give a, a definitive, hey, here's what scripture says. It's more yeah, of like a... Not. This is what we wonder and how we feel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so talking about, you know, sexuality and the American church's culture around it would be a, mm -hmm. would be a likely uh, future topic. In addition to that, we're both, you know, interested in politics. And I think that discussions of American political systems and political culture uh, are a likely candidate for future discussion. Yeah. And in anything where we're like, you know, I like to think that this podcast, we might talk about religion, but it's not a religious podcast. We might talk no. about politics, but it's not a political podcast. And well, you know, I want to stay true to the concept of talking about our own experience. So I would never want to hide like the slant that we have or pretend that we don't have it. Like if I was talking about religion, like I'm going to say where I stand or if I'm talking about politics, like if you haven't guessed, like we both have a pretty liberal slant on politics. Um, we and, both believe in the pandemic, for one thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so, well, I don't, I don't want it to be, you know, I don't want us to get like hyper politicized. I'm also not going to pretend like I don't have an opinion. Um, I think it's a good thing to to make a distinction between political and partisan. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. I think we we have strong politics. I don't. I wouldn't say that either of us are strongly partisan. Oh no! Gosh, like, like. No. Not a shocker. I'm going to vote Democrat, but I don't like it. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think most people, most people of our philosophy feel the same way. So. I know. It's such a bummer. And I think also we might talk about things of like, you know, I think the broad heading might just be like emotions and mental health. Um, yeah, that's a likely uh, topic. I think, you know, I mentioned productivity, but kind of examining it, I want to at some point talk to you about like, um, how we define productivity uh, as we've addressed a little bit and even in classically defined productivity like you know school or work i think it could be interesting to have a conversation about like okay what are some of our work strategies you know like how do we get things done 
because I think we have some different approaches. Like I'm definitely a hardcore procrastinator. Um, and I think examining that could be interesting. Um, or, you know, I'm very passionate about mental health. And so I think, you know, there's so many conversations we could talk about there, uh, especially in relation to other things, like talking about it in terms of, you know, gender norms or the pandemic or, you know, I, I think I think a guaranteed topic for us will be uh, like masculinity and male gender norms. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I hope that gives our listeners a bit of a flavor for what the future of this podcast might look like. Um, yeah. You will hear from us. Sounds like every other Tuesday. Every other Tuesday, probably, you know, probably. probably. Yeah. Yes. So until two Tuesdays from now, I'm two James. Tuesdays. And I'm Noah. And this has been our experience. We'll work on that ending. We'll work on that ending. No expectations, no disappointments. This is the pilot episode. It's okay. Yeah, it's great. This is all staying in. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, that, that would actually be a really fun idea. If instead of having a, like, a cutoff at the end, we just kind of trail out. And we talk about it. Struggle. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like this.